0: Um, And students who are in the sanctuary to come join us up at the front. Um, And any who are watching with us online to move a little closer to your screen. Grab one of those. All right. As you come forward, you can go ahead and grab one of these tags. There's one for everybody.
1: I think I've seen one of these before.
0: You've seen something like that before? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Once you get once you get a tag, you can have a seat. Thank you. All right. So today we're going to be blessing our new school year, and we're going to be praying for everybody who's going back to school. Raise your hand if you've already started school for the new year. Raise your hand. Yeah. Raise your hand if you still got a, a, a little more time before you start school. You still got a few days or a few weeks. Yeah. So some of us are started. Some of us are still getting ready. And. Going back to school sometimes has big feelings, right? And they may be different for each person. Shh, shh. Some people may be some people may be nervous, but some may be happy, and some may be excited or curious or maybe frustrated cuz summer is over, um, or whatever, but whatever feelings you might be feeling or even all of them at the same time, God goes with us, right? And so we you've got a tag that can go on your backpack or hang in your room as a reminder of God's love for you and a reminder of God's presence with you and also a reminder that West End, your church, your church family loves you and believes in you. This year the tags say you got this because you know what, we do. Um, So you can look at it and remember that you can do it even when things maybe feel hard or scary or frustrating, you know that you can do it because God is with you and God loves you and we love you. So we're gonna pray for our students, for our teachers, for our administrators and staff, for all of you parents out there who are sending kids back to school, and for everyone who's got a different role to play in this back to school season. So let's pray together. God of fresh starts and new beginnings, we bring ourselves and our big feelings before you. The world around us keeps changing, And so do things in our schools. In all the changes and all the uncertainty, God, you are our friend. You comfort us and hold us close and wipe our tears. You whisper words of comfort, words of encouragement, words of praise. You celebrate our joys with us and you are present with us when we are anxious or afraid. We carry many things with us to school backpacks, blank pages, sharpened pencils, crayons, books, and more. We also carry in our hearts our feelings, unanswered questions, and hopeful expectations. There are endless possibilities of what this new year might bring, of what we might learn, who we might meet, and who we might become. God, you are a friend who is always with us through it all. Be with us as we ride the bus, be with us as we walk, be with us as we buckle, seatbelts, zip up jackets, and tie shoes. However we get there, whatever we wear, bless this journey into something new. And for the grown-ups going back to school, God, who is with us, be with them too. We give thanks for our teachers, administrators, staff, leaders, parents, caregivers, all of those people who are in our schools, our churches, and on our college campuses who help us. Comfort them, hold them close, and bless their journeys. May they know your love and care and the support of this congregation. God, our friend who's full of wonder, fill our hearts and bless their hands. Bless us all this year, God. And everybody said, amen. All right. If you are three, four, or five, you're going to follow me and Pastor Nancy to Children's Church. If you're older than that or younger than that, you can head back to your seat. But if you didn't get a tag, make sure you get a tag before you go. Okay. All right. So three, four, and five. Come with me. If you need a tag, you can grab, make sure you come get one.
1: I was a little older than these children, maybe around 11 or 12, when I first fell in love with Steve Martin. If you've been around me at all, you know that I love Steve Martin. First it was his stand-up comedy and then it was his movies like Roxanne and All of Me, and then he became a playwright and entered the theater world, and then he became a bluegrass musician and traveled all around the world playing his banjo. Is totally the reason why I take banjo lessons. And now, He and Martin Short and Selena Gomez are in this fabulous new show that's a murder mystery. Does anybody watch Only Murders in the Building? Yes. It's worth getting Hulu just to watch this wonderful show. The second season has two episodes left. They drop on Tuesday nights, and that's where David and I are on Tuesday nights, watching the latest episode of Only Murders in the Building. On Wednesday morning, in my car driving to work, I'm listening to a podcast about only murders in the building. So it's all very meta. You know, I'm I'm watching a TV show about a podcast about a murder in a building. And then on Wednesday, I'm listening to a podcast about a TV show about a podcast about a murder in the building. I'm going to go all meta on you for the next three weeks. In my sermons, for the next three weeks, I'm going to be preaching about a sermon that was preached. I'm going to preach to you, my congregation, about a sermon that was preached to another congregation 2,000 years ago. This book of Hebrews that we have, which is, by the way, in the New Testament, it was a typo in the bulletin, is not so much a letter as it is a sermon. There is a place in this writing where the writer refers to it as an exhortation. It's a sermon from a pastor to a congregation, a congregation that he has known, a congregation he's been a part of and shared life with, a congregation he has loved. And he may not be with them anymore, but he sends them this sermon to be read in their midst because he's gotten word of what's happening with them. He knows that they need a word. Now, those of us who are preachers, always bring our congregations with us when we prepare a sermon. Every week when I sit down with the scripture text, I have you with me and I'm thinking and praying about the conversations that I've had with you over the past week or what's going on in the world and what's affecting our spirits and our souls together and I I pray to God for a word to arise from the scripture that might speak to us where we are. And I believe this preacher was doing the same thing with his congregation. He knew that his congregation needed a word of exhortation because he knew they were tired. This is a congregation that was exhausted. They were people who had been trying to follow the way of Jesus, trying to live out Christ's love and grace and forgiveness and generosity in a world that was dominated by empire. They were trying to to create a community of faith made up of people from different classes and different races and different life experiences and all that beautiful diversity in a society that was very divided by class and status and religion. They were waiting for the return of Jesus. These are folks who, who really believed that, as as all of us should, that any day now, Christ is going to return and all things will be made well, and, and that was a big part of their motivation to keep, keep the faith, keep living life in such a peculiar and different way from the rest of the world, because Jesus was coming any minute. And yet, when this letter was written, it was probably to a second or third generation of Christians who were waiting and waiting and waiting getting tired. The preacher talks about their hands drooping and their knees getting weak. It's hard to keep the faith. It's hard to keep going. And even though it's 2,000 years later, I wonder if perhaps we can identify with that kind of exhaustion. I think we can. There may be many of us who are feeling that sort of exhaustion on a personal level. Maybe it's, it's your physical health that just doesn't seem to turn that corner you want it to turn. Or that relationship that you're in and you're trying to be healthy and, and positive and supportive and loving and the other person's not meeting you halfway. Maybe it's a work setting that is toxic and you're trying to be kind and generous and, and to follow the way of Jesus at work and it's getting harder and harder with the environment around you. Or maybe we're feeling that despair in a more collective sense. As the people of of God, we are called to be working to build the kingdom of God, to, to manifest the beloved community, not only in our midst, but in our world. And yet sometimes it feels like we take one step forward and two steps back. Some days it feels like the forces of empire are winning the day. On Wednesday night, we're helping to host an interfaith conversation with some of our Jewish neighbors. It will be led by the gentleman who's the rabbi at West End Synagogue. And together we're going to be looking at a book by Professor Deborah Lipstadt about anti-Semitism here and now. And a few days ago, I was reading the introduction to her book, and she talked about how writing this book was harder than any other book she's ever written. It rattled her more than any other book because she has spent most of her career writing about the Holocaust and the events of the past that are, as she says, locked in history. But this book was about now and anti-Semitism that's alive and well now. And how timely is it that we're having this conversation when only a couple of weeks ago there were all these flyers distributed in neighborhoods in West Nashville. Maybe you got one in your driveway this anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic hatred, and it, it's still with us. And as someone who likes to think that we are making progress in our world, it's discouraging. And there's so many other examples of things that we work for, that we hope for as we, as we lean into the kingdom of God, and yet we look around us and think, where is it? That's how this congregation 2,000 years ago, I think, was feeling. We are working hard to follow Jesus, and it doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. And so the preacher preaches, or he sends this writing to be read aloud in their midst. And over these next three weeks, we're going to hear the voice of this ancient preacher and how he is exhorting his congregation, how he is encouraging them, how he is cheering them on to keep the faith. How he does it in our text this morning is by pointing to the stories of their ancestors. Specifically, we hone in on Abraham But he does this whole litany of the faithful who have gone before. He reminds them that Abraham and Sarah were called to be the ancestors of a great nation. They were chosen by God to be the the parents of this particular chosen people who would be led to a new land and through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Abraham and Sarah had their part to play in God's great story of salvation, God's great work of redemption, and how they were faithful, how they left where they lived without knowing where they were going, and how they died before the promise was fulfilled. When they died, they had one child, Isaac, Abraham, and Sarah together. And yet God had promised descendants that would number the stars in the sky. But they believed in the promise, even though they didn't see the multitudes of descendants, even though they didn't fully inhabit the vision that God had placed before them, they kept the faith because they knew God's dream. The preacher says that Abraham and Sarah knew that they were citizens of God's kingdom that they were on their way to a better country, a heavenly one, and that gave them what they needed to take one faithful step after the next. Do you find that encouraging? Do you find that inspiring? To remember and to know that the fulfillment of the kingdom of God is not up to you and it's not up to me, that we are one piece of God's great story, the great work that God is doing in creation, we have our part to play, and then we are called to have faith that God will do the work far beyond our little span of life. The preacher reminds the congregation that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. And so we gather in this time together every week and we hear the scriptures and we sing the songs and we're reminded of the kingdom of God that is being manifest in our midst. We're reminded of that day that the prophet spoke of, we heard last week. We're reminded of that vision when every tear shall be dry when the wolf shall lie down with the lamb, when people will beat their swords into plowshares, when justice shall roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And we may not see that all fulfilled with our own human eyes in our lifetime. But thanks be to God, we have a part to play. And God uses us to share the dream and to work toward it. So today, we remember those ancestors in the faith who weren't perfect, by the way. If we go back to the book of Genesis, we see Abraham and Sarah made lots of mistakes on the way. They had doubts. They wandered off the path. But God used them anyway. So, my friends, God wants to use you and wants to use me in the great work that God is doing May we keep the faith. May we come here every Sunday and cheer one another on to run the race with faith, knowing that across the finish line is a better country, a new land where all of us belong. Thanks be to God.